Alright, so check this out. When I was a sophomore in college, I lived in an apartment in New York City on Roosevelt Island, which is nestled between Manhattan and Queens. The island has a dark history, and at one point, there were insane asylums and a smallpox hospital. It's actually pretty fascinating if you want to Wikipedia it. But with all of that suffering, the island seems to still carry that burden. So our apartment was laid out in sort of an L shape. The living room slash dining room faced part of the hallway. There was a bathroom at the end of the hall that was small and led to the two bedrooms, one of which had a balcony off of it. I'm not gonna lie, we had a killer view and for a dorm we felt like we were living pretty large. But not long after we moved in, my three roommates and I all began to experience some things. It started with the feeling like we were being watched all the time. I remember specifically, I was home alone and working on a mural, I was an art student, and I began to feel very uneasy, like someone was right behind me the whole time, just watching me. This went on for about an hour and I just couldn't shake this feeling, but I did my best to just roll with it, but I'll admit it, I was scared. I was relieved when my roommates got home. As the semester continued, my roommate and I had a huge project due, and in order to accommodate all the space we needed to do it, we took turns working in the living room. I worked on my project first and then headed to bed as my roommate worked on hers. I was laying in my bed, reading with my back to the door, when I saw a shadow come up on my book and felt like someone was behind me. Thinking it was my roommate, I turned to see what she wanted and she wasn't there. I shrugged it off and kept reading. The shadow once again crept up on my book. I moved my blankets, my head, and the shadow didn't move. At this point, I was scared but felt ridiculous if I mentioned it, so I pulled the covers over my head and just went to sleep. Well, fast forward to Halloween. We had a party and a bunch of friends were over. As the night wore on, we started talking about ghosts and spooky stuff. And lo and behold, it comes up about how everyone thinks our place is a little spooky. My roommate starts to tell a story about how one night we both had a project due and we took turns. And I'm like, wait, where is she going with this? She says she was working on her project and she saw someone out of the corner of her eye walking in the hallway. So she gets up, thinking it's me, and it turns out I'm asleep. She goes back to do her project and she feels someone come up on her. All the hairs on the back of her neck stand up and once again, no one's there. Now, at this point, I'd never mentioned to her what happened to me that same night. I told her my story and we were both in shock. The more we talk, a few people mentioned feeling like they were going to get pushed off the balcony every time that they went out there. And then it comes out that the two of our friends had the exact same dream when they slept over. They were paralyzed and began floating and then began to uncontrollably spin. 
At this point, I'm convinced that something is happening. Sometime later, I began to start seeing a shadow figure often out of the corner of my eye in the hallway. It was dark with no features and I only ever saw it out of the corner of my eye as it quickly darted when I would look full on. I convinced myself that it was just my eyes until my friend was over. We were sitting at the table talking when I got distracted for a second and then I saw it. So I took a pause in the conversation and when I looked at my friend she said, I saw it. I said, saw what? And she replied, the black thing in the hallway. I had never told her what I saw before so I felt totally vindicated. The pinnacle of my experiences happened when it was winter break. My roommates had left to go home and I was the last one there. Not wanting to be alone, I called a friend to stay. We were talking about going out so I went into the bathroom to brush my teeth and the door was open because we were still talking. When there was a pause in our conversation, I heard a voice plain as day whisper my name loudly and directly into my ear. At this point, I visibly freaked out. I confirmed with my friend that she said nothing and we decided to leave the apartment for a while. During winter break, I had contacted a few paranormal teams who wanted to check it out after I relayed my story. When we got back from break, I told my roommates and they were not at all interested and acted like I was nuts even though we had all those experiences. I regret to this day not just letting them come. So I went to a church, I got some holy water, I sprinkled my apartment and said out loud, this is my apartment and you're scaring me. That's not okay and you need to go. After that, I didn't feel much of a presence anymore, but maybe I just believed what I did worked and learned to ignore it. I'll never know. I'm a 35-year-old male and currently live in Phoenix, Arizona. I'll try to make this brief and go over a few of my experiences. The first time I can remember anything like this happening to me, I was probably around 15. My family was in the process of moving into a new apartment. Not much was left in our old place besides the essentials, my bed and my TV. I decided to stay the night by myself so I could watch the basketball game. Everything that night seemed the same as it always had. I remember watching the game and opening one of those family-sized Doritos bags. I set the bag down after I ate a few chips and a few moments later, the bag flew halfway across my room. I picked up the bag and went back to watching the game. I didn't think much of it that night. Maybe I didn't want to think about it at all. At our new apartment, the only strange thing I remember seeing would be out of the corner of my eyes. My dad had a big, bright fish tank. I would routinely see the light being completely blocked by something walking in front of it. It would happen while I was in the kitchen doing dishes, and also while I was in my bedroom playing Xbox. One other thing happened to me that I can't explain. 
I got real lightheaded one time and my dad laid me on the couch in the living room. All I could see was white. I heard, we are all around you. And it scared the living crap out of me and I just remember thinking, I'm too young to die. Fast forward about six years, I had just met my future wife and after a few months of dating, I had decided to move in with her. We were laying in bed one afternoon, just hanging out. I heard a deep male voice directly in my ear tell me to get out. I looked at her, trying to process what I'd just experienced. Did you hear that? I asked. I heard something, but it wasn't loud enough to make out, she told me. We were less than a foot apart, and it was as if someone was yelling directly into my ear, but she couldn't hear what it had said. A few months later, she was driving me to work around 2 a.m. What she told me sent chills down my spine. She said she had woken up earlier in the night and something was talking to her. She couldn't understand what it was saying. It was a language that she wasn't familiar with. The thought of something I couldn't see that close to where I was sleeping was very unsettling. About a year later, we had moved into a new home together. I awoke one night to a shadow figure standing above me. I reached out to grab what I perceived to be an intruder and it took a step back and then disappeared. I never went back to sleep that night. On another occasion, I was alone in the house on my tablet one evening. I was laying in bed with my bedroom door open. I heard footsteps in the hall coming towards my bedroom. There were two problems with that. The first being I didn't believe anyone else was in the house, and the second was I should have heard the footsteps long before I did. They started halfway down my hallway. I watched the door and a few moments later, a tall shadowy figure passed by. I got up again thinking that there was someone in my house that shouldn't be. Both rooms outside my room had their doors closed and there was nowhere else to go. I opened the bathroom door and it was empty. I opened the door to my spare bedroom and it was empty as well. Six years later and I find myself in a new house with a new experience. It was late one night, probably around 11 p.m. My wife was asleep in our bedroom and I was sitting on a bed in our spare room with the door open. From where I was sitting, I could see down our hallway. It was dark, but not pitch black. As I sat there scrolling on my phone, something out of the corner of my eye caught my attention. I looked into the hallway and it was empty. I went back to whatever I was doing on my phone, and a few moments later I find myself seeing the same thing. I look, but nothing's there. So now I'm back to my phone, but this time I'm trying to focus out of the corner of my eye and figure out what is going on. I see something crawling in my hallway. It's about 10 feet away from where I'm sitting. I look up and nothing. I go back to my phone, still trying to view it from my peripheral. Now I see that thing standing up. It's a woman wearing a white dress. It's walking in a circle and I'm trying to process what is happening. It sprints at my door and just as it gets there, I hit the bedroom light 
and it's gone. Now I'm sitting there wondering if I just imagined it. The hair on the back of my neck is standing up and my heart is beating out of my chest. I'd like to share some background about an incident that happened when I was around 10 years old. In the house where I lived with my mom and my dad and my five siblings, we all had experienced various unusual events. The particular event that I'm about to describe happened when I was 10. I was in my 13-year-old brother's room, just hanging out. He was lying on the floor by his bed, and I was about 10 steps away, playing with a yoga ball. We had been talking, but he suddenly went quiet, and I assumed he was just tired. After about 5 minutes, I looked over at him and was shocked by what I saw. There was a dark, black mass floating above him, and he appeared to be choking. His eyes were bulging, and his face was turning red. Panicked, I yelled for my mom and started crying. She rushed into the room, and upon seeing him, she grabbed her Bible and began reciting from it. This seemed to work because the black mass eventually disappeared, but not before we heard my brother let out a deep, demonic scream. He laid there with his eyes closed for a while before suddenly sitting up, panting and trying to catch his breath. We left the house that same day and stayed with relatives. However, it seemed like the dark shadow was still with us. We couldn't tell if it had followed us or if it was just the trauma lingering. To be safe, we went to a priest to get the house blessed and an exorcism was performed on my brother. During the exorcism, his eyes rolled back and he started speaking in an unrecognizable voice. After the exorcism, he seemed to return to his normal self. Our house now has a light and cozy atmosphere. I'm not sure what was targeting us, but it was definitely malevolent. My wife and I went to visit my brother's family in a sleepy Devon town. We stayed in a lovely old cottage that dated back a few hundred years. We were staying in a ground floor bedroom and my parents were staying in a room opposite. Between us was an old wooden staircase that went up to a lounge. It was a bit of an upside down house. It all felt very warm, welcoming and cozy and my wife and I quickly fell asleep that night. Now, this is where things start to get weird. My wife woke up in the middle of the night, hearing thumping on the wall behind our heads. She was about to wake me up when I apparently sat bolt upright and said, You can't come in. My wife tried talking to me, but I didn't respond so she gave me a shake until I woke up. For some context, I don't sleep talk or sleepwalk. Not feeling particularly brave, I didn't want to go out to investigate, so we sat in silence, listening. Eventually, we decided to go back to sleep. In the morning, I decided to try and recreate the thumping sounds that my wife had heard. 
The wall behind our heads was extremely thick. It was over a meter, and no matter what I did, I couldn't recreate the sounds. Apparently, my thumping was barely audible and muffled compared to the extremely loud and close thumping that my wife heard. Over breakfast, I shared the story with my parents, and apparently the night before, my dad had heard someone going up and down the staircase. They were the only ones in the house, and when he went to look, the footsteps stopped and nobody was there. My brother came along later in the day, and that's when we found out that the building next door was a funeral director's, and the house we were staying in used to be part of the funeral director's building. This is the only paranormal experience I've ever had, but I'm fully convinced that it was the real deal. To this day, I still wonder why that wall was so thick. Seems like a lot of people have scary experiences with Ouija boards. Here's mine. Back on Halloween night in 2019, I was at a party with my friend Alex and a couple of his friends. We were all having a good time, jamming out to spooky Halloween music. We had all been partying pretty good and some of us were getting tired, but we wanted to play a board or a card game or something to end the night with. One of Alex's friends, who will have to change her name to Lexi, for privacy reasons, suggested that we do a Ouija board, like in the movies, she said. Now, I grew up in a pretty standard Christian home and was always warned about Halloween time every year and to stay away from Ouija boards and blah blah blah, they're evil, blah blah blah, but I didn't really buy into it very much. Well, none of us actually had a Ouija board or knew where to find one, so Lexi suggested that we just make our own, so of course, being dumb teenagers, we just looked up a design and took a sharpie and drew one up. Using an old guitar pick as a pointer, we sat down and started asking some questions. At first, the questions were stupid, like, which one of us is the dumbest? Which one of us will make the most money after high school? Just dumb questions that would get us a bunch of no's, like the board was annoyed or something. Well, after a while of asking dumb questions, Lexi thought it would be a good idea to kick it up a notch. Lexi asked the board if there was anyone who would like to talk to us. Then the whole mood in the room changed. It felt colder, and everyone for some reason felt uneasy. The pointer slowly moved over to yes. Almost everyone felt super uncomfortable all of a sudden, but one of our friends, who I'll call Mike, wasn't convinced. He thought someone was just moving the pointer to scare everyone. Mike decided to conduct a little test and asked the board to name a dead relative that no one in the room knew about. And right then, the board spelled out Eleanor. Everyone started freaking out because we all knew Mike's grandmother and her name was Irene. Apparently, Eleanor was his great-great-aunt who had passed on before his mom had died. And at that point, we were all scared and asked what the board wanted. 
The board started spelling out extremely vulgar obscenities and weird words that no one knew. We quickly said goodbye and ended the session. We turned on the lights and everyone was so freaked out. We threw out the board and none of us have touched a board since then. About two years ago, I was living in a townhouse in a suburban area surrounded by three fields. One night, when I was home alone, I started hearing strange noises, like banging on the walls. My mom and her boyfriend were away for the weekend. Initially, I thought it was just my noisy neighbors. Feeling a bit paranoid, I texted my neighbor to see if they were home, but they weren't. That's when my fear really set in. It was around 2 in the morning, I was alone, and the banging noises were growing louder, seeming to come from my basement. I thought it might be my washer, so I went to check, feeling like a cliché character in a horror movie. To my relief, the washer wasn't on, but as I left the basement, panic overwhelmed me again. I went to my room, forgetting about my food, and just sat on my bed. Here's an important detail. My room, which is the master bedroom, has two closets, one of which is a walk-in with a barely functioning light. As I lay there, I noticed the light in my walk-in closet was on, which is unusual since it rarely works. Feeling terrified, I hesitantly opened the closet door, only for the light to suddenly shut off. In the dimness, I could just make out a tall, skinny figure at the back of the closet. I quickly closed the door, too scared to scream, and decided to go outside to find a bench to sit on. Recently, just a few days ago, I saw the same figure again, hovering over my bed, staring at me. I was paralyzed with fear. After telling my mom, she mentioned it to her friend who used to live in my apartment and had the same room, and she shared a similar experience, including sleep paralysis. Lately, the lights in my closet have been flickering more, making me think that I've somehow angered this presence. I've never really had any reason to be truly scared. Looking back, there isn't one experience I can think of that really terrified me. I've jumped countless times from sudden loud noises or catching something move in my peripheral vision, but I can't recall ever fully screaming or shouting. But maybe that's because I'm not a very outspoken person anyway and would rather mask my feelings from others. I lost my eldest daughter once. She was two and we were in a B&Q, which is a hardware store. They have model bathrooms and kitchens. There I am, admiring some taps or tiles or whatever it was. I turn around to the shower she was messing in and poof, gone. That was terrifying, but I wasn't scared, more frantic. In full disclosure, I found her taking a dump in one of the display toilets. It's not my proudest moment having to tell the employee that they needed a clean up in aisle six. 
Anyway, so I haven't ever really been terrified, except once. It happened back when I was 17. I'd left school that summer and had six weeks before starting college. It was baking hot in the small, rural town that I lived in. Situated pretty much in the middle of England, it's an old coal mining town and a bit of uh, British history here. All the mines were closed down, which decimated both the economy and job opportunities of the small pit towns throughout the country. Back to my town. If you're old enough, or at least look old enough, you spend your time in the local pubs. If you're not, and you have nothing else to do but roam the streets seeking your own entertainment, me and my friends were the latter. On the main road through town, away from other houses, stood a dilapidated house known as the O'Briens. A four-story, six-bedroom mansion compared to all the other houses in town. There was an old couple who lived there who, at this point, had passed away some years prior, called, you guessed it, the O'Briens. They had two daughters who moved abroad and had never claimed the house, so it just sat for years, building up dust and rotting away. A perfect opportunity for somewhere cool, private, and exciting for six teenagers to hang out in. The house had a ridiculously big back garden, which was equally ridiculously overgrown. It literally took us the good part of a day to stomp down a pathway through the nettles and brush. Once through, there was a garage that we could drop down into, which we pulled up the roof of to gain access. We spent nearly all summer in that house, hanging out, graffitiing the walls, drinking, smoking. You get it. But there was one room that eluded us. From the garage, you headed through a kitchen, which now only consisted of broken windows that had been boarded up and a damaged set of cabinets on the back wall. You then stepped into a hallway which looked right through the front door, with a bathroom and two other large rooms on the left-hand side. On the right were the stairs to the second floor. The staircase was built against a wall and had wooden planks running vertically. Directly opposite the kitchen door, built into the back of the staircase, was a large metal door that had been painted white. The paint was now a sickly, yellow, dusty color and flaky. The door was locked. It simply wouldn't budge, and looking at the hinges, it opened inwards. The house was big enough that we just kind of forgot about the locked door. We'd spend most days up in the two rooms of the third floor, away from the road outside, to avoid any passers-by hearing us and phoning the cops. That was until one of the lads decided, for no apparent reason, to light the moth-ridden curtain on fire with the zippo that he was messing with. The curtain, the dust-covered carpet, and old crinkled wallpaper went up in seconds. We only made it out by smashing the top window and jumping onto a dirt mound at the side of the garage. I think if adrenaline hadn't been coursing through us, it would have been a hell of a painful fall. We hid in some bushes over the road and watched the fire engine put out the flames, but before that it had engulfed the second and third floor. The second was still usable once we got the courage to re-enter the house, but the third floor was gone, 
just the outer walls and what was left of the roof. Shame, really. So we were confined to the bottom floor. The garage was too dark to see in and only had an old table that we'd found that you'd normally use to put paste on wallpaper. We used it to get in and out of the roof. The kitchen wasn't much brighter and the front room had a big window that overlooked the footpath and road outside so that left us a small, bleak room to chill in, which got very boring very quickly. Boredom led to curiosity, and I noticed that one of the wooden planks on the side of the stairs was loose, and that there was an open space behind it. Finally, we could see what was behind the metal door, and what a mistake that was. They say curiosity killed the cat, but in this instance, it questioned my whole belief. The wooden panels were surprisingly hard to pull off, even for six fairly athletic teenagers. So we went out scouting and brought back a few torches and a crowbar. It was still a slog, but we finally managed to remove two and a half of the panels. Shining the light into the hole revealed another staircase that led down. Yet, it looked as though it was decades older than the rest of the house. Cobwebs engulfed every surface, and the stench of musk and damp attacked your nostrils if you got anywhere near the hole. After some giddy behavior, some pushing and shoving, and a game of rock-paper-scissors, I grabbed a torch and slowly stuck my head through the hole. The room was darker than dark, so dark that the beam from the torch could be seen cutting through the blackness. I shone it down the staircase first, and it went down deep. The hole we had made was maybe four or five steps from the door, and there were at least 25 feet below it. At the bottom, a wall, and a doorway to the left. I swung the torch to the right, towards the metal door, not expecting to see what I saw at all. The door was definitely locked tight, with three separate deadlocks that ran down the side, all barred. But what caught me by surprise was on the small lip of the top step, pushed firmly against the door, was a really outdated fridge. The ones that were squared and about waist high. I told the lads that were stood behind me, and they laughed, thinking I was joking. One by one, they stuck their head in the hole, checked out the bottom of the stairs, and then the fridge, each one as confused as myself. I remember sitting down, smoking a cigarette, and debating how and why it would be there. The door clearly opened inwards, which meant the door must have been locked from the inside, and then somehow the fridge pushed up against it also from the inside. We spent the rest of the day checking the garage and surrounding area of the house for a trap door or maybe another entrance or exit to the cellar, but couldn't find anything. We put it down to the sheer size and state of the garden and went home. The next few visits to the house was just us trying to decide who would enter the cellar first. No one wanted to. And no matter how many games of rock, paper, scissors we played, it was always the best out of a higher number. Until one day, I'd had enough. We were sat in a circle in the other room, messing with stuff and just generally chatting. Except me. I was sat and stared at the hole, 
this dark void in the wall. Finally, I got up, exclaimed my intentions, took the torch from my pocket, and stepped inside. Everyone else quickly and very excitedly followed. Immediately, the first few layers of the wooden steps just disintegrated under my feet. They turned into mulch of damp splinters that clung to the sole of my shoe when I lifted my foot. It was worrying, but the stairs seemed sturdy enough. Each step I took downwards, the temperature dropped rapidly, and the air seemed to get thicker and thicker. The inches of dust that I kicked up didn't help either. Admittedly, I was a little scared, but I had five other dudes behind me, so it was impossible to turn tail now. I headed down and reached the second to last step. I could see the doorway, which led to an open room. Pausing, I regained my courage with a few shaky, deep breaths and I stepped through. The room was in a worse state than the stairs. Webs littered the rafters and floorboards above like moss. They hung from the ceiling in clumps, all tarnished with dust. Weirdly, thinking about it now, actually, we never saw any spiders, though. The floor was carpeted in a layer of debris from the rotting wood above and dust and dirt. It was a miracle that none of us ever fell through the floor above. This place was a mess. The room was huge, expanding underneath the bathroom and both rooms on the first floor, and it was dark. There was no light source other than the torches that the three of us now carried. The room stood empty, except for a wooden table smack bang in the middle. No chair, nothing around it. But on the table was a metal plate, crudely bashed into shape with the remnants of black goo on it. Next to the plate stood a tall, uncorked green bottle. One of the boys went over to it and picked it up. It sloshed as he did so, with the liquid of deep brown and layers of dirt inside. I never smelled it, but apparently it was putrid. At first, we didn't see the other doorway. It was in the corner, directly opposite the one that we had entered. No door, just total darkness. We tried to shine our torches through it, but they didn't seem to cut through the shadows. It was like there was actually a door there, one that drained the torchlight. For some reason, I didn't muster the courage to go into that room, and neither did anyone else. We simply turned and left, feeling like we'd had enough adventure for the day. Over the next week or so, we invited girls and other friends to the house, but all refused to enter the basement. We found this to be hilarious and would dare one another, more to show off than anything, to go down there either on our own or in pairs without a flashlight and see how long we could stay down there. Now, not once did I get scared while stood in complete darkness down there. It was kind of calming, actually, but none of us ever got the courage to enter the other room. In hindsight, we should have questioned more why the door was metal or why it was locked from the inside and how a fridge got up the stairs and placed in front of the door as a barrier from the inside as well. But full of excitement and immaturity, it never crossed our minds. We just assumed that there would be some sort of other exit in the room which led to the garden. 
Word quickly went round through the year groups of the O'Brien basement, and we definitely fed the rumors of it being haunted. Teenagers would ask us how to get into the house and for us to show them the barricaded door. So, because we thought we were cool, we spent another day making a maze in the garden, squashing pathways down that led away from the garage. We would then invite people into the house, lead them through the garden, into the garage, and show them the hole in the stairs. It got quite popular, and we decided to cash in on the opportunity. We told people that if they wanted to see the basement, then they would have to do the initiation. As they came in, we would have one person sat in the fridge and another at the bottom of the stairs, both with torches, and send people into the first room, telling them that they had to stay there for 10 minutes with the torches turned off, and then we would let them out. This went on for a while, and it was fun at first. A lot of people bottled it as soon as the torches were turned off, but some stayed. We'd cheers them back up the stairs when they completed it. It was a cheesy little ritual that we had created, but still, everyone refused to go into the other room. When questioned, they just said that they didn't feel comfortable. Until my little brother and his friend came. They were two years younger than us, and initially, we refused to let anyone who wasn't at our age into the house. We were there all the time, and there were six of us in the friend group, so it was pretty easy to deter people away if they managed to find the entrance at the garage. But after constant pestering and the initial curiosity of others dwindling, we decided to invite them along. We made a big deal out of it taking them to the dilapidated fence at the back of the garden and tying their jumpers around their faces as we led them blind through the maze of shrubbery and thorns to the garage. It was a decent drop from the hole in the roof and even though my brother managed it, his friend had to be lowered down by his arms. Once inside, they were met with the stench of smoke that lingered from the floors above. We walked them through the kitchen and showed them the makeshift entrance to the basement. We told them the story of the metal door and how it didn't make sense and gave them the option of staying in the first room in pitch black for 10 minutes or go in the second room in pitch black for 5 minutes, which is an offer a lot of people initially picked until they got down the staircase. Second room, they both said in unison. We all laughed, expecting them to change their minds immediately. One of the lads slipped through the hole in the wooden boards and turned right, heading up the stairs and positioning himself on the fridge. I went through the next and positioned myself at the foot of the stairs. And I'd just like to say that at this point, all of us regulars felt complete comfort going down to the bottom of the stairs, practically alone. I mean, we'd all taken it in turns when bringing people down here and had done it numerous times each, so this time was really no different. There was a giddy, nervous atmosphere when the two youngsters entered the staircase. The torches we used were cheap ones that we'd gotten from the market, so they cast an eerie yellow glow. Slowly, my brother and his friend made it down the stairs, clearly attempting to show face and act unmoved by the state of the rotten, decaying wood around them. But as they trenched through the mulch, they stuck close together. They took their time, so much so that the guy at the top shouted for them to hurry, 
and both nearly crapped their pants. When they finally got to me, I told them that this was the first room, shining the torch around the room through the doorway, and that they were to go into the next room, aiming the beam through the darkness to the frame of the other door. The room was a decent size, and as stated, the torches were cheap. But I remember taking notice that the beam that cut through the first room never seemed to illuminate the second room at all, as if there was an object obstructing its path. My brother's friend walked into the room, and as my brother walked past me, I grabbed his shoulder and told him that he didn't have to do this, and if he did, then he could back out whenever. With a nod and a dismissive wave, he followed his friend. They crossed the room, passed the table, and disappeared through the second doorway, as if walking through a dark stage curtain. I hit the button on my Casio watch to start the countdown from five minutes. I then aimed the beam of my torch up the staircase. The guy sitting on the fridge smiled excitedly and looked at his watch. I really need to piss, dude. I'll be right back, he said, jumping down from the fridge and then disappearing back through the gap. I stood at the bottom of those steps for what seemed like forever. I could hear the faint giggles from across the first room, and they seemed muffled, as if hearing voices from behind a door. How long left? My brother's voice shouted. Three and a half minutes, I replied, checking my watch. Now, in the basement, Despite it obviously being underground, there was never an uncomfortable temperature. It was colder than upstairs, but it never had any bite. There was never a chill, I mean. And while being down there countless amounts of times, not once had any of us felt any sort of breeze. But, and this memory still haunts me a little, especially when there's a sudden shift in temperature, I noticed that I became very cold as I stood at the bottom of the stairs, to the point where I could see my breath when checking the time against the light on my watch face. The mumbles from the other room had stopped also. I tried to focus on them, see if I could hear any movement or any nervous noises that they had been making before, but nothing. I remember getting freaked out, and I don't know what about, but I could feel my heart beating faster. The hairs on my arms and the back of my neck stood on end. I turned on the torch and stepped into the first room. Yo, you guys alright? I called out. But nothing. No reply. Hey, stop messing around, your time's up. I called out again. But again, no reply. I shined the torch through the doorway of the second room, but just like before, it was as if the beam cut through the first room and then stopped at the doorway. I crept closer, calling my brother's name, but he never replied. Then, as clear as day, so loud that it hurt my ears after the silence, a voice, deep, brash and distorted, as if the sound had been twisted, bellowed, leave now. I froze on the spot, my eyes fixated on their doorway, and then, emerging from the gloom, ran my brother and his friend, both as white as snow, both with tears and snot streaming down their faces. The look of pure terror on their faces is something that I've never been able to get rid of. They bolted straight past me, which snapped me out of the trance, and 
I followed suit. Before we could reach the doorway to the stairs, the sound of crashing came from the stairwell. Four ridiculously loud bangs and the noise of snapping wood. The fridge was embedded into the wall at the bottom of the staircase. Without stopping, we all scrambled over it. The staircase itself was a complete mess. Large splinters of wood stuck up like spikes. Luckily, and I don't know how, we managed to clamber up on our hands and feet without any injury. Halfway up, I looked towards the hole in the wall, praying it would be in reaching distance. Both the young lads were in front of me, both still sobbing and screaming. They both ran straight past the hole in the wall, and the metal door, which was locked before with no key, stood open. Light from the garage exit spilled through the kitchen and down into the basement, as if it showed us the quickest way out. Instinct had set in by this point, and all three of us darted through the door, onto the table, and then up through the garage. My brother's friend, too small to get down on his own, managed to get out without help. We ran through the garden maze. At some point, I had to grab a hold of my brother to stop him from going down one of the many dead ends that we had created and, without word, took the lead. We raced to the fence, squeezed through the hole and collapsed on the field behind the property. I looked around and there, also sat on the grass staring at the three of us, was everyone else who had been in the house. No one said a word. Everyone looked as scared as each other except for the two younger boys. They wept, for a long time actually, as we all just sat there in silence and let them do it. Once they had stopped, we all got up, without a word, and went home. My brother said nothing to me on the way or when we got back. He just went into his room, I went into mine, and that was the end of that. No one went into the house again. It stood for a year or two, and then it was demolished. Apparently, one of the daughters had finally come over and claimed the land, only to sell it to some new build project. Now, a group of houses sit where the garden and house were. Nice-looking houses, to be fair. But my brother still refuses to walk past that estate. They never built on the land directly above the cellar. Apparently, and I've never actually had this confirmed, but the builders refused to fill the cellar in for some reason. They just bricked it up and left it as open space despite being able to fit a perfectly good house on there. We only brought it up once within the friends group and only because I convinced myself that it had been one of them that had opened the door and somehow moved the fridge. But they all swore it wasn't. They said that as soon as it started getting really cold in there, they got spooked. They heard the voice and then headed for the kitchen, noticed the door was open when they heard the loud bangs, and then bolted. I tried asking my brother about the room, but he completely shut down when I did. He quickly stopped being friends with the kid who went down to the second room with him. They said they no longer had anything relevant to talk about. I've kind of been obsessing over what happened out there. 
I'll try and keep it as brief as possible without leaving out key details. My wife's uncle, Jay, bought some land just north of Spokane, Washington with a friend of the family, goes by Kay. They got it at a significant discount because a nearby aluminum smelter had polluted the ground and it was impossible to use the water beneath the ground. They had set up two plots and each had a camper to live in. Jay had been progressively getting paranoid and saying people were stalking him and watching him in the trees. About three months into living there, a man wandering through the woods had an interaction with Jay and ended up attacking him and breaking his jaw. Upon being arrested, the man was overcome with the desire to see if he could kill him with a single punch. Two months later, Jay was murdered in his sleep on the couch in his camper. Kay found him and immediately ran as far away until he stopped to call the police. There was sufficient evidence of who did it and they quickly caught the killer who was a 19-year-old boy who said he simply wanted his bike. He beat him to death with a power tool that was lying on a floor nearby, completely bashed his brains in. Kay was terrified at all times to be there alone. He had moved in with a family member until eight months later, he ended up with nowhere else to go and then had to return. In constant fear, he finally convinced my pregnant wife and I to come stay with him. The second I turned off the highway onto the property, I was overcame with dread. There were at least 250 crows covering the dirt road up to the property. I didn't sleep whatsoever the first night. I stared into the forest searching for the cause of my intense fear. The energy of this place was so uncomfortable and I assumed it was simply just knowing Uncle Jay was killed here. Even the days were eerie. Never did I have a moment where I didn't feel like I was being watched. My wife and I always had the sense of fear, especially after dark. Things sort of normalized for a while until one day, Kay began puking and feeling very lightheaded all the time. I took him to the hospital and they said he was fine, probably just a flu. At this point, it was the anniversary of Jay's murder. Three days after the date of Jay's death, Kay comes running out of his camper, screaming, I can't breathe, waking my wife and I up and we run to see what's wrong. Kay had gotten into his car and floored it, crashing into a nearby tree. I run up and peer through the window to see the most intense and most primal fear I've ever seen in anyone's eyes. He was gasping and clutching his chest. Moments later, he breathed out one last time and he was dead. We gave him CPR for 30 minutes until EMS arrived. On July 10th, one year and three days after moving there with Jay, and they were both dead. Now it's only me and my wife alone on the property, every moment living in fear and not understanding what had happened here. I don't know why we didn't leave right away. One day, I come out to get fresh water from a drum that we kept for water to smell the worst smell that I've ever smelled. The water container had a one inch opening on top and inside the water was bits and pieces of chipmunks. 
like spines and heads. They didn't fall in. Something ripped them apart before putting them inside. The nights were getting worse and worse. I never saw anything, just always filled with unease and intense fear. I grew up deep in the mountains of North Idaho with the nearest town being 30 miles away. Fear in the woods, even at night, is new for me. Hearing crashing and footsteps every night. One night, my wife and I return home to having the worst feeling I've ever felt. Everything looked different, although everything was right where we had left it and nothing seemed out of place. Looking around, I suddenly see this orange, long-haired, manged cat sitting on a stump. This cat's eyes were so intense, fiery, almost glowing, but not quite. We start hearing branches snapping, pine needles crunching, seemingly from every direction. I'm still staring at this cat, almost frozen in fear. Suddenly, a voice breaks out, echoing through the forest. Hello? Is anyone here? A little girl, I thought, but something was off. My wife yells back, Hello, are you okay? Anybody? The voice had changed. Help, help me. We yell back several times without any response. Somebody freaking help me. The most intense, shrieking, evil sounding voice of a woman. I'm now filled with more intense fear than I can ever describe, but my wife, she's overcome with the need to find this person, and she started to head off into the forest without a word. I grabbed her by the arm and tell her something isn't right. Why won't she respond to us? She tries to break free from me and go off alone. I tell her to get into the truck and now grab the spotlights, cause we're not going on foot. We roll the windows down and shine my intensely bright LED lights throughout the forest. We slowly creep down the road, yelling back. As we get further down the road, the voice strikes out. Please, won't anyone freaking help? Sounds are difficult to pin down in the woods, but this one was very close. I hit the brakes and stop immediately. We shine the lights and yell back, searching no sign of anyone when suddenly the voice explodes into the cabin of the vehicle as if they were standing right outside my window help me somebody help leaving my ears hurting and ringing i hit the gas and i didn't look back i call the police when i hit the highway and afterwards they said there was no one around I picked up our stuff the next day and my wife gave birth the following day. We never stayed there again after that baby was born. And what the hell could do these things? I never even believed in paranormal things at all before, but I don't know what else happened. This is a heartwarming, real story that my family likes to retell when times are rough, and I thought I'd share it with you. Before my dad was married to my mom, he was in a previous marriage to another woman who was honestly evil incarnate. 
Together, they had my stepsister who was severely handicapped. She was confined to a wheelchair, couldn't speak, and she had to have everything done for her, including being bathed and having her diaper changed. Since my dad's ex was a very terrible, abusive person, he eventually divorced her and got full custody of their children. For years, he would take care of my sister and sing to her, Every Rose Has Its Thorn, by Poison, as she would giggle with joy every time he did. It was their song. He took care of her and sung to her every day until she was 15 years old when she passed away. I was only two at the time, so I didn't have any defining memories with her, just pictures. During the funeral, it rained hard, but when my dad got in the car to head to the cemetery to bury her, a rainbow came out from behind the clouds that was the brightest he'd ever seen, and he heard the DJ say on the radio, This song is from a little girl to her daddy, letting him know that everything is going to be alright. And guess what song came on? Every Rose Has Its Thorn by Poison. Now, we've asked many family members if they called in to request the song, but no one zoned up to it. My father truly believes it was his little girl telling him that she was okay, wherever she was.